August 28th to September 4, 2015. I'm your host, David Tanner, and it is very good to have you with us today. Welcome back. If you have listened to Main Menu before, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. We are very pleased to have you with us here today on Main Menu. Well, we have something a little different for you today here on Main Menu. We have gotten a collection of different things from the recent ACB 2015 convention that we want to air for you from time to time in the near future and today is one of those days that we're going to present to you something that if you didn't know about if it's a committee that you may want to know about and want to be in contact with them and at least be watching and listening to what they're doing and give them feedback as necessary as you feel necessary this is a presentation it's about the first half of the presentation done at the 2015 conference and convention this summer from the information access committee brian charleston is the chair of the committee and brian and a few other people on the committee are going to be giving some presentations talking about a variety of things about what the committee does and things that are going on as far as accessibility to information and give you a very good overview of what all the things are that the committee has been working on for the past year and where some of those things are and i think it's going to give you a real good review of what's been really going on in information access for the past year and kind of where things are and where they seem to be headed and then next week i will be on vacation and larry turnbull acb radio director will be in doing the show for me next week or on main menu and larry is going to be bringing us the second part of of this same meeting and with some additional information demonstrations and discussions and i think you're going to find these two broadcasts to be quite interesting and very helpful and informative for you and i hope you'll take down the names of the people on the committee uh, if they're given and at least find out all that you can about the information access committee and be ready to give them any feedback that you can and listen and check in occasionally and find out what is going on during the coming year with that committee we're going to go ahead and get right into that right away here did want to mention to you that i think last week's show we mentioned that nvda had come out with a release candidate for nvda 2000 15 r3 and that was released this week as a new release so the new release of nvda nvda 2015 r3 was officially released to the public on the 25th of august and it provides a lot more support for windows 10 and i think you will find the access there has increased quite a bit and there's been a lot of improvements in a number of other areas. And we'll get into that on an, at another time. Right now, let's get on into this. You have a great week. I'll see you week after next and when I get back from vacation. And you have a great, great summer. 
As a Main Menu listener, you might have questions about something you've heard here on Main Menu. You might want advice about which product that you've heard about is better for you, or you might just want to get in contact with some other technology fans who are listeners of Main Menu. To become part of the Main Menu listening community, we invite you to subscribe to the Main Menu Friends mailing list, where you can interact with not only all the members of the Main Menu staff, other broadcasters on ACB Radio, but also with hundreds of Main Menu listeners from around the world. If you would like to subscribe to the Main Menu Friends mailing list, simply send an email to mm-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. You can also participate in discussion about Main Menu and assistive technology by following at Main Menu on Twitter and communicating with us as well as our other followers on Twitter. We look forward to interacting with our listeners. Thank you for listening to ACB Radio's Main Menu, and we hope to hear from you soon on our friends' mailing list and on Twitter. Welcome, everyone, to Information 411, the annual event sponsored by the Information Access Committee. I'm Brian Charlson, chair of that committee. There are a couple of other committee members in the room, and during introductions, they'll tell you who they are as well. Our program for this afternoon has three components to it. One is a report from the committee. The second is a demonstration of some technology, as mentioned in the program. And the third is a general discussion on how to be effective when it comes to filing complaints and the like relative to the accessibility of the things in our environment. That is, information things. If it's built environment, then of course that's the Environmental Access Committee's charge. Let me begin by giving you a brief idea of what the Information Access Committee is about, what our charge is, and what we've been up to over the course of the last 12 months. Our committee has roughly nine members on it. I say roughly because this is one of those committees that if it's your particular passion, everybody wants to climb on board, but it takes a long view to accomplish much in this area. We're attempting to modify the direction of the Queen Mary. And if you, you understand shipping, it takes a lot of power to turn something two degrees off of the course it's already on. So our committee meets primarily by conference call on a monthly basis, if the chair remembers to post it, on a monthly basis by conference call. And during those calls, we have a published agenda and we work our way through that agenda. It, the agenda always includes a report from Eric because Eric's out of the national office. When people want to reach ACB, they reach to the national office. He takes those calls and helps build the relationships with the companies that we're attempting to positively impact and in terms of accessibility. We put together a program for this conference, but we also engage in discussions helping Eric formulate ACB's policies relative to interaction with IT companies, both accessibility companies like Freedom Scientific, Humanware, HIMSS, AI Squared, and the like, as well as mainstream companies such as Google, Apple, Facebook, oh yeah, Microsoft, and the others. And he brings to our committee on a regular basis questions about what our relationship with those companies ought to be. We, of course, also interact with government because a great deal of what is information access are things on the Internet, of course, that's governed, and things by way of technologies other than the Internet or coexistent with the Internet. So agencies like the FCC come into play. Members of the committee 
and Eric, uh, depending on who's available at a given time, will attend meetings. How many people in the room have ever been to the CSUN conference out in California? Put your hands together for me. No. Come on, somebody's been there. Very, very important conference to attend each year. This is where access vendors and mainstream vendors get together with consumers to show their wares, to give us a glimpse at where they're going with their technology development. And this year, Mr. Jeff Bishop attended that conference. Also, we are invited from time to time to other types of conferences, not the general ones that, that individuals can simply sign up and go, but ones where it's by invitation only. Eric this year attended such a meeting at Google, for example. Later in September, we expect a similar meeting to take place out in Redmond, Washington, with the fine folks at Microsoft. We also have those private under non-disclosure agreement. Anybody here ever sign an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement? Non-disclosure agreements are your way of entering into discussions with companies about their products early enough to have a real impact on what they are going to look like. But it also means that because we're acting as advocates for a broader community, it makes it difficult for us to give, give much in terms of specificity to the kinds of things we're engaged with. We signed the papers that said we're not going to talk about this at a school unless the information we're sharing is so general that it won't give away any trade secrets in one form or another. No company wants to give up what they're doing back in the research and development labs to their potential competitors. So we have to take on that responsibility as well, doing advocacy in the name of ACB. So what I'd like to do next is to invite Mr. Jeff Bishop, again, the gentleman who attended the CSUN conference this year on behalf of the committee, to come up and tell a bit about that experience, what kind of impressions he got, and to be very careful about his NDAs. That's right. All right, I have a wireless mic here. Everyone can hear me all right? All right, very good. Well, I had an opportunity to uh, attend CSUN this year, and it was a really great opportunity to meet and greet with uh, lots of really interesting uh, people. Um, One one of the most fascinating things that happened at this convention, unlike past CSUN events, was the use of screen readers and what screen readers were seen as being the ones leading the way. At, as far as at least CSUN were concerned. Now, you've got to keep in mind these are people who are doing testing and, you know, that kind of thing. They're not real-world cases. But, but uh, give, me a, give me a guess as to what you think the top screen reader was on the desktop. Yeah, NVDA, right? You would, you would think. JAWS, yeah. Hmm. Well, the, the top one, according to the people who did testing, was voiceover. Interesting, huh? Now... Now, let me preface this by saying that, that what they basically did was they would put together a series of, or a matrix of test cases, and that's how they would determine it. So this doesn't necessarily mean it's the, it's the most friendly use case. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the, you know, it just means that this is the screen reader that came on top as far as testing against the, you know, WCAG 2.0 guidelines, you know, the, the standards that are set by the W3C. So... Uh, we had a lot of opportunity to meet and greet with Google and Apple and a number of companies of which I can't speak directly to, but I can tell you that they are definitely listening to ACB and ACB members. Uh, we had lots of very frank and honest discussions about the future of product 
at least just you know from a from a Google perspective, talking about Google Docs and Google Spreadsheets. Uh, you know, u- using these in the education space. How many of you are using the new Google Drive? Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to do that, do. It really is a really great example of where Google is starting to make changes that make a big difference. Uh, Google Drive is actually getting a lot better. Google Docs is really good. I attended the AFB Leadership Conference and actually got a, a chance to sit in on a... Uh, a four-hour workshop with Google where they went through and taught us a little bit about, about using Google Docs. And it's coming along, too. The best screen reader to use on Google Docs right now, of course, is still NVDA. And that seems to be where Google does a lot of their testing, at least on the Windows side. Okay. Um, other than that, it was a, it was a really busy conference. Uh, lots, of, lots of emphasis on math and science. And there's lots of really innovative stuff going on there. There's new support for HTML math in NVDA, and JAWS has support for math, although they're using a, they're using a JavaScript library uh, method for math, which is a little bit different than what everyone else is doing. But uh, keep an eye on that, because that's really going to make a big difference in reference to things like STEM, you know, especially for students getting into STEM-related technology. Uh, that's going to become even more and more important. So... Some really exciting stuff going on there. By the way, the, the last presentation of the day at CSUN, the room was overflowing with people, and it was all about HTML math, and it was a fantastic presentation. I was shocked to see that, you know, on a, on a late Friday afternoon, there were still people there wanting to actually see that, and it was uh, really neat to see. So it, w- it was a great conference. AFB leadership was really good, too. Um, lots of really great awards were given out there, some, some really exciting stuff, so... Uh, things are looking bright as far as technology is concerned, that's for sure. By the way, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, Apple is going to be here at the conference. It was a late ad in the uh, program. They'll be presenting in the Remington Room Tuesday afternoon at 4.15. So whatever you do, get there early. I'm sure it's going to be a busy one. So it's going to be Thank fun. you, Jeff. Excellent, excellent. So again, I forgot about the AFB Leadership Conference, that there was a significant amount of tech involved in that conference as well. As you can tell, the, the names and the acronyms can fly. So, Jeff, STEM, define. He gets quiet on me. Oh, me? Yeah, oh. you're Jeff. Science, Let me think. Science. Yes, Jeff, that's J-E-F-F. Jeff, science define te- STEM. Science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. There you go. Yep. So when we talk about STEM subjects, we're talking about those. You also mentioned W3C, which is? Worldwide Consortium. They're the people that make up the standards of HTML and the and the uh, web accessibility guidelines that we need to make sure that the web is an accessible place for everyone. And WCAG, which is, how are you, how are you saying what that stands for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, my brain just stopped. Yeah, Worldwide Content Accessibility Guidelines, yes. Right. So, in a brief primer on the above, let's make it clear that the World Wide Web Consortium is the entity that attempts to govern, as much as such a thing can be governed, yep. the World Wide Web. They have put together over the course of many years the guidelines. Notice I didn't say regulations. Notice I didn't say um, that there's any law involved. They established the guidelines they would ask people to abide by when publishing to the World Wide Web. All the set of rules that say what you shall do if it's a table, what you shall do if it is a heading, what you shall do if it's an extended quote. How do you deal with graphics and labeling? How do you deal with the controls like radio buttons, check boxes, etc., etc.? All of the set of rules on how those are best to be done are really not rules. They're guidelines. 
And these were developed over many years um, and eventually adopted by the organization as a whole. And now many organizations are engaged in making those not just guidelines, but the backbone of the regulatory process. Recently, the Access Board is working on doing what they call harmonizing. That is, taking several different pieces of regulations that they put out over the years and make sure that they don't disagree with one another, called harmonizing. And they're harmonizing on the back of, and I'm saying that in a positive way, by the way, on the back of these standards, the the WCAG 2.0 AA standards. And I'm really quite excited about that because that harmonization is not just happening domestically in the United States. It's an international effort. Because already the European Union has adopted a set of regulations that will govern the World Wide Web within their jurisdiction that look very much like our WCAG standards of the W3C. So if we adopt rules within our country that match those of Europe, then you can imagine manufacturers are not going to have the dilemma and I think to some degree the excuse of saying, well, who do we follow, them or us? We're an international market. When we build something, we need to build it, uh, whether that be hardware or software, to a, to a single standard, not multiple standards. And so they're not going to have that as an excuse not to do anything uh, when all of this process and the dust finally settles. Your information access committee drafted comments based on our review. Let's see, you were involved in that, Jeff. I was, yeah. I was involved in part of that. Who were the other members who participated in that? We broke it down and had uh, several people working on that. Yeah, there was, uh, there was not too many, though. Um, there were four of us. Yeah, there's four. There was, uh, oh, uh, pardon me. Eric and... Eric, and of course, um, Ray Campbell. And Ray Campbell, Was yep. involved in that as well. So we put together our comments and forwarded those on to uh, the access board. And we're waiting now for their final rules to come out. Uh, and we hope that they will look as good, quite honestly, as the ones they initially offered up. We had very few complaints to be to make about what those proposed regulations were going to be. Uh, the one thing we pray for, and if you have any influence on anybody associated with this process, please be heard. And that is to get it done before the end of this presidential cycle so that it can be uh, established prior to any opportunity for somebody new in the White House to say, wait a minute, anything that's in way, freeze it right now. I want to reconsider and reevaluate. We don't want this set to be reevaluated. Carl, did you ask for the floor? Okay. So when it comes to these standards of of, uh, what accessible web is supposed to be all about, we have some serious progress being made, and ACB has been part of that progress. Uh, We did speak at the hearings, one of the two hearings held by the Access Board. We wrote our comments to the regulations, and we continue to have some significant influence in, in that quarter of things. When it comes to working with the different for-profit companies. We are on a regular dialogue with all of the companies you can think of that have to do with computer-based technologies, with Microsoft. Uh, what's his name? Robert uh, Rob Sinclair, Sinclair mm-hmm. has uh, been speaking with us. And in fact, they will be on the general program here at the ACB convention as a direct result of those conversations. Um, and Jeff is going to give us a bit of an update on some things associated with Microsoft product in a little bit here. 
Uh, in addition, we've been working with Google. Again, Eric went to the Google Summit this year. Last year, both Jeff and I went. Was that just last year? Or was it the year before last? The year before that. year before last. So last year. And they had the best yeah. Diet Coke in it. Really yeah, the cool. best Diet Coke, yeah. <laughs> That's something that Jeff and I uh, share a passion for, I'm afraid. <laughs> So, but nonetheless, we're getting a chance to sit down in the rooms with the people who are making the decisions and see things before they happen. And be thankful, ladies and gentlemen, that some of the things that we see, you never have to. Um, there are some technologies that they consider, and then they bring them out to us to take a look at, and we shudder and tell them that we don't see a way for that to happen. Uh, sometimes we see some real potential in things, but of course they don't become commercially available out there. Google Glass would be an example. We got a chance to wear Google Glass and to interact with it and to have conversations about how that might be a benefit to those who are blind, whether you're low vision and utilize it as a low vision aid or uh, functionally totally blind and use the speech input, speech output of that device to interact and do things like pattern recognition simply by by facing something rather than having to point a camera. You're pointing yourself at it and be able to go through some things. So we have, we saw some real potential to that, but as you no doubt have heard, if you've been watching major media, Google Glass is kind of a thing of the past. But trust me that the technologies involved in the development of the components of Google Glass are anything but over. And we've made it very clear to the folks at Google and other companies considering similar technologies that we expect that there to be a way for those with vision issues to be able to utilize components, if not every part of those, major parts of those. One of those would be Microsoft. Uh, I was approached the other day and had meetings with the Microsoft staff in the Boston area as they're looking to take one of the experiments that they have been running in Reading, England, and bring it to the United States as a real product. This is where you use a Microsoft phone, a Windows phone, along with a pair of bone, I always get this backwards, induction or conduction? Conduction. Conduction headphones. Mm -hmm. And have the ability to ask the system, just like you might do if you're using Apple now, using Siri, to ask the system for information about your environment and have it speak back to you through the bone induction conduction headphones and if you were to say where's the mcdonald's instead of it saying at three o'clock or north north southwest whatever any of those kind of things the voice simply sounds like it's coming from the direction that that item is so if you were to say where's the mcdonald's you might hear it as if it's behind your left shoulder and it, it gives you that eerie 3D sound effect. So we're going to be working with Microsoft out of their Cambridge office to make uh, sure that all of this stuff is, is not done in an inappropriate way. One of the things we struggle with is inventors are out there busily inventing, and they come up with a great idea, and then they try to find a way to make it work for us. Instead of finding a problem that we're having and looking for a solution, they find a solution and try to find a problem that will work for It's the other way around. And this frequently happens in the blindness world, doesn't it? Gee, it talks. Maybe we can get blind people to get some advantage of something that talks. And then it talks so much that you can't hear where you're going, what you're doing, those kinds of things. So we interact with those companies on, on those kinds of things. Recently, I sat down with a developer. Can't specify their name. Can't give you a great deal of technical information about it. But that makes me very excited because we talk here a lot about speech, don't we? Computers that talk, computers we can talk to. 
We also occasionally fall into the realm of low vision products. And in fact, CCLVI is holding an event um, where they're going to be talking about apps that are good for low vision folks, not just a matter of simply putting it on a bigger platform like an iPad instead of an iPhone, but actually ones that really give the user an opportunity to adjust to their unique individual vision situations. But what we're not hearing so much about lately is Braille. The Braille, refreshable Braille display that I have in my room, the technology that pushes that dot up for me to feel it is the same technology that I first used back in 1978. It's the same thing. It's called the piezoelectric. Mind you, they've modified them, improved them. They take up less space, use less energy, those kind of things. But the fact of the matter is, it's still the same technology. And what that has done, because that technology is not in common use in the general uh, industry associated with electronics, the cost is prohibitive. Judy, how many, what would you say your least expensive refreshable Braille device currently is? How much? 1,500 would be the least expensive. How many cells? 12 cells. Okay. So that's 12, a 12 character view of the world for $1,500. What would you say if, they, if there was a way to bring that price down to a 20 cell display for under $400? What kind of change would that kind of technology have on a blindness community that's struggling to keep Braille alive because everybody says it's too complicated to learn? Well, UEB should help in a number of ways to improve the consistency of the Braille format. Secondly, that nobody, we don't have enough people teaching it. Well, I think technology is a great training tool. I know that my Braille reading is vastly better now because I use a one-line Braille display. And so I don't have line tracking issues at all. So I can confidently predict that within the next two years, people are going to be able to buy a refreshable Braille display and do so for under $400. Now, where I live, the Boston area, there's a little place called MIT, you may have heard of them, and other universities that are are the hotbeds of research. And strangely enough, what I'm describing didn't come out of there. So... It's really the blindness system in one form or another education driving this. They have to find a way to deal with it. Library services who spend an incredible amount of time and energy dealing with hard copy Braille. It's storage, it's shipping, it's receiving, it's, you know, how many books can you afford to press? The number of, of major presses has actually gone down. That is companies that can produce it for our library systems. So how do you deal with that? You may find yourself uh, being able to read books in Braille for no more cost than to read the same thing with speech. Uh, and I'm really excited about that prospect. So we deal with companies who are involved in research. So some of these things, as I said, as a result of NDAs, we're not going to be able to publish in the Braille forum. We can't give you a great deal of information about how these things are going to look, what makes them tick, because that's what gives these people, that is the companies doing it, that's their intellectual property. We can tell you, though, that we are working with them. We're working uh, to make sure that we bring the price down as much as we possibly can. Anybody here uh, going to take advantage of uh, Freedom Scientific's JAWS Home Edition for $100? It's really 200 actually. Yeah, well, you have to buy an SMA. Right. I understand that. But you would have had to buy the SMA anyway to some right. degree. It's really a good it's, deal, actually. It's a substantial downward pressure for the cost of screen readers. 
And NVDA, no. the reverse no. is also happening, right? NVDA is becoming a much more mature product that's capable of doing more than it could do a year ago. So we're seeing the cost come down and the agility of these things go up. I was so excited when I got my first iPhone and realized I didn't have to pay extra to get speech access. However, as a Braille user as well, that didn't go down. That didn't go down. And Apple is not in a position where they're going to be issuing Braille displays on the back of every iPhone, are they? So we have to work out that partnership between the access technology vendors and their development and the mainstream developers. So ACB is frequently called upon by each side of that equation. And sometimes they are on opposite sides, aren't they, Jeff? Absolutely. Yep. So the consumers come in and say, hey, fellas, knock it off. You've got to be talking to one another early enough that when the change in the operating system comes out, that the screen reader developers and screen magnification developers and the Braille display developers have the information they need to accommodate your changes. They come to ACB to get the other side to listen. Sometimes it's trying to get the big companies to listen to the access vendors. Sometimes it's getting the access vendors to stop blaming the big companies for all their woes and to step up to the plate. So we do that. Now, one thing you might notice if you saw the paper today and if you read your program is how many sponsors there are that are sponsoring this conference. You've seen a lot of the companies, but I want to assure you that when ACB advocates for accessibility, who sponsors our conference does not buy our silence. It, it, it is one of those things that we're very, very cautious about engaging in any kind of activity that says that we're not going to speak what we believe to be in the best interest of blind people because you're funding what we're doing. The two are a separate issue, an absolute separate issue in the minds and hearts of ACB's leadership, and I know its membership as well. All right, I'm taking a look at my Apple Watch, and it says it's 150. So, Jeff... Do you have anything more that you'd like to add to my brief report of what we've been doing in the ACB's Information Access Committee? We're going to talk Windows later? Then yes, we're okay. going to talk Windows okay, as a part fine. of this second section here. Yep. Okay. Okay. I should say, and I realize that uh, my wife would absolutely kill me, and she has a lot more authority around here than I do. Um, <laughs> she'd absolutely kill me if I didn't mention the improvements in technologies that aren't if you will, directly associated with access to the World Wide Web. And that's access to audio description and television in all of its myriad forms. Uh, Comcast, leading the way with the X1 voice guidance. Spectacular. Because uh, Eric and I have visited Comcast headquarters on a couple of occasions, worked with uh, conference call working groups as they've developed what that was going to look like. Uh, very excited to be a Comcast customer. That is a customer of a company who chose not to get their act together in time to comply with the law, but to do so a year and a half before anybody else. A year and a half before they had to do such a thing. They nonetheless came fully loaded with real access to the information that our sighted uh, family members and friends have had access to for some time. I'm having to totally change my way of doing things. I never thought in terms of watch television when I wanted to, not when the broadcasters were broadcasting that program, because DVR was simply inaccessible to me. And now it is accessible. Now if they could just give me the time to watch this stuff, that would be good too. But I do have access to it, and it's not perfect out of the game. And that's another thing we consumers have to understand. When version 1.0 of anything comes out, imperfection is part of what you should expect. 
But we, I think, are more than just people who get to pay to be testers. We are actually people who are impacting the quality of the program. And sometimes accessibility is of a technical nature, right? Did it speak when I wanted it to speak? It When I pushed this button, did it do what I wanted it to do? And sometimes it has to do with how those companies interact with us. Most recently with Comcast, for example, people were told that it wouldn't cost them any more to use the accessible set-top box than it would be to use the inaccessible set-top box. There wasn't going to be an increase in your bill because you are taking advantage of accessibility. And yet... Uh, I would hesitate to say that there was less than 200 individuals who, in fact, when they set it up, were told by the people they set it up with um, that it was going to cost them monthly more and installation more. But if you have been watching the discussion on the ACBL list and ACB leadership list, and as you'll be hearing from the podium during the course of this week, Comcast acknowledges that their billing office wasn't quite dancing to the tune they were supposed to. And Tom Litkowski... Uh, head of accessibility for Comcast, has set the record straight within the company. People are getting refunds, not just an elimination of the fees forward going, but refunds for when their business office, quite honestly, kind of screwed it up. Myself and Kim and Eric recently attended meetings at the FCC, recently meaning a week and a half ago or so. And during that time, two names came up over and over again. Well, three, actually. Three names. One, Comcast. Look what they did. Sitting over there in the corner was somebody from AT&T. Sitting over in the other corner was somebody from Verizon. Both of them had to say, we'll be in compliance by the deadline. Deadline, anybody know what it is? You talk to 12 different people, and they all disagree. (laughs) The legal fact of the matter is it's um, mid-July 2016. I'm talking about compliance now, not when you're supposed to start reporting your progress, but actual compliance with accessibility rules dealing with services or provided, what is the term they use? Video simultaneously um, distributed with audio, something along those lines. So these companies are going to have to be in compliance and they're looking at Comcast because they become the low bar. All those conversations that said, oh, we, we're going to have real trouble meeting these standards. Comcast said, we're the big company. We met the standards. Where are you? And in fact, some of the companies are already talking to Comcast to license it. Not all. I was told by the Verizon person directly, Verizon is going to have its own solution to accessibility. So you Verizon customers out there, there is hope. Um, and I honestly think that they do intend to do something. In fact, they don't have a choice. They're going to do something. Nope. Yes. And again, they all know that they have to come into compliance. If they have a user base, you know, remember, it's always, you know, whenever there's one of those commercials, you can buy it for only $14.92. And then the guy gets on the thing and says, this applies not to people who do this. And you can't understand all the provisos, right? So there are companies this will not apply to. The smaller footprint companies, I shouldn't say the smaller, the smallest footprint companies are not going to have to be in compliance okay uh just in the same way that audio description first applied to the biggest 25 markets and now as of now the biggest 60 markets so a lot of you who didn't have audio description mandated in your jurisdiction it now is but nonetheless all of those kinds of things are out there happening and you're going to see some significant improvement in a variety of different areas and i have to say one of those areas that was really exciting in recent weeks is netflix uh netflix starting with daredevil the marvel comic strip 
television show now provides audio-described content. And in a very short period of time, they went from one item to 80 items. 1,500 hours of content. And they have contracts. And this is all because of ACB's involvement. Don't doubt it. Uh, Kim and I and others out in the state of California, uh, Jeff Tom was there, uh, had conversations with Netflix well before the Daredevil announcement, indicating what kind of things we would expect from an accessible Netflix experience. And Netflix met us more than halfway on what we've asked for. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it is version, what, 1.0. It will get better. It truly will. Right now, their focus is on modifying all of their contracts so that, one, everything that Netflix creates, Netflix has 100% control over it, will be audio described. Two, anything their partners in the creation of it will be audio described. Three, anything that has been from some other source, Netflix will do due diligence to secure the rights to broadcast that component as well. So even if they didn't create it, they're aggressively looking for the audio described and who owns the rights to the audio description for the properties they already own. And lastly, to modify their future contracts to say that, one, if it's described by some third entity, when we say we want it, we mean we want it with audio description. And two, in fact, they're going to build into contracts a component that will require, if you're going to sign on the dotted line and sell me your product, it will come with audio description. So I'm confident that we're going to see a huge, huge increase in the number of things that will come in that fashion. I use the app on my iPhone, and I use the app on my uh, Apple TV to access it, and those are clearly accessible. We've been doing some research on the website, and I have to say it's nowhere near as accessible, even though I know for a fact that they're working with a company and that company has indicated to them that, in fact, it is. It's got serious problems. We know it has serious problems, and we're working with them to make sure that those get corrected as quickly as possible. So that's the other part that the Information Access Committee is involved with. Yes, it does help if it's got a computer connected to it in some fashion. We do like our gadgets, but it, it's not all a matter of sitting at a keyboard or a smartphone. Much of what we do in advocacy in information access is to the whole gambit of audio, video, etc. Hey, All right. Brian? Yes. Uh, this week, Apple has also started posting described movies without having to pay extra for movies with the audio track added to them. You know, for example, there's Disney movies in the iTunes store now where you can either buy the movie with or without audio description. But now, if you have audio description enabled, films are starting to appear with audio description automatically. So. Yeah, that's the problem, um, and I don't have an answer to that yet. But you know, Sarah's going to be here on Tuesday, so I would encourage all Sarah, of you. Sarah, yep. I'm going to get you to define who these people are. Oh, right? I'm sorry, Sarah. Sarah, <laughs> I'll let Eric define who Sarah is because <laughs> Eric's here now. Good. But um, she's the head of the Apple Accessibility Team, and she's going to be presenting on Tuesday. But that would be a great question for all of you to ask her about uh, how that rollout's going to take place and the way that. We should be finding finding these because right now you don't. There's no marker in iTunes. You know, for example, for closed captioning, there is a designation on a film, but we don't see that. At least I haven't seen it yet on yeah in iTunes. If you search for blind, you'll see a bunch of the audio described movies that are available on iTunes that you can purchase. 
And so, uh, but those are the ones that I believe that are separate from what's happening now at Apple. But that started happening last week. Uh, we first saw news of it on Twitter, and then we got verification of it. Actually, while we were traveling here to the convention, I got a call at 11.30 at night because he forgot we were in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> My wife wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, saying, wow, look, audio description on iTunes, and it really works. Okay, Paul, talk to you tomorrow. <laughs> but, uh, okay, <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to ask stuff. if you might pass that mic over to Eric since he's here now. Yep. Since he got to have lunch and I didn't. You didn't get to have your my, lunch? My box lunch is sitting right in front of me. Right in front of you. It hasn't been touched. Well, thank you very much. You can stand up here. I'll sit down in front of that lunch. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know how much of my remarks you were able to hear, Eric, but do you have... 10 minutes or so. So do you have anything that you wanted to make sure was part of this opening component that deals with the activities of the committee? Yeah. So I think, I think the only other thing that I would add um, is that... ACB will be meeting with Charter Communications in the month of August, probably the latter part of the month of August. Some of you probably know who Charter is. A lot of you probably don't. Charter is a cable company slash internet company slash what have you. They are currently the third largest cable provider in the country. And they have announced a, a desire to purchase Time Warner's cable division, Time Warner Cable, as well as Bright House Networks, which would be the fifth largest cable company in the country. And <clears throat> as I'm sure you guys are all aware, Comcast announced a bid probably a year and a half ago now to, to purchase Time Warner Cable. That, that proposal has since um, sort of uh, fizzled out, died on the vine. And so now, um, Charter has announced their intentions to purchase Time Warner Cable as well as Bright House. What that would mean is if the deal went through, Charter would become the second largest cable provider as well as a pretty significant internet player as well. And what we want to do and what we're going to do in this meeting in August is to talk to them about their plans for making an accessible TV watching experience, as well as uh, to talk with them about uh, their apps and app development um, with an eye to uh, having them create accessible TV watching apps, much like Comcast has done. So Comcast has done a pretty wonderful job of creating a user interface that we can all uh, utilize. Is it the best interface? I have no idea, because it's the only one, right? So what we are wanting our intention is uh, that there be hopefully some level of choice. Obviously, it's a, it's, it would be a wise business decision on the behalf of Comcast to license their voice guidance product or some um, reasonable facsimile of it to other cable providers. Um, and that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. However, there, there are other ways to do this um, that would provide the, the user with... Um, you know, the same sort of information in maybe a slightly different format. And by the way, the satellite providers are going to have to do something different because their platforms are different. And I said platforms. Why did I say that? I don't know. Platforms are different. Um, and I apologize. That came from another meeting where I was just talking. So um, I guess I'll just continue to talk. But no, <laughs> I'm joking. You don't want to hear me. Um, Suffice it to say, ACB is involved in a lot of different conversations with cable providers, with um, organizations like Netflix and Yahoo and others that are providing content um, to the consumer, be it over the Internet or traditional television. Brian? Okay. So with that component, um, do I have somebody who could be a mic runner here if anybody wants to ask any questions? Or would you be comfortable just shouting them out and we will restate them into the microphone? What do you know about Uber? 
What do we know about UVerse? I'm not familiar with UVerse as a carrier. Are you? So AT&T's product. Ah, yeah. okay, now I recognize. AT&T's product, and it's my understanding that their app is accessible and has been accessible. They've been touting it and um, referring the community to the UVerse app. Um, they have not uh, disclosed uh, what it is they're working on from an accessible user interface standpoint. Now, there, there's another thing to consider here, too, and that is the proposed acquisition slash merger. I'm not exactly sure what, what it's classified as, but DirecTV and AT&T are interested in having a, uh, a combined company. And so to the degree that that's allowed to move forward, that could have some level of impact on uh, what they determine is the best way uh, to move forward with a, a TV watching product. Okay. Any other questions? Go ahead, Steve. Uh, thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for the wonderful presentation. Uh, Eric, I guess direct to you. Number one, to the degree that the FCC has coordinated jurisdiction with Justice Department uh, in approving the, the uh, forthcoming merger, is there any possibility of a timely uh, charter takeover uh, to uh, commitment for accessibility? In formal, we doing that to without your real or otherwise. And secondly, with respect to other satellite platforms, I'm wondering if uh, the IAC has thought about or talked about or engaged in any way with Sirius XM, uh, which has very, very few Oh, Steve. <laughs> it's good to see you. <laughs> um, so with regard to um, the, the commitments, um, I think it's pretty well spelled out in the CVAA that, that whatever company DirecTV and AT&T comes up with, the requirements will be there um, for them to make an accessible product. Um, with regard to you know spelling it out in, in a, a declaration or things of that nature, I suppose that's always uh, that's always possible. Um, we have not actively been engaged in that um, uh, proposed marriage, as it were. Um, that's not to say that we couldn't uh, ask some questions of DOJ. Yeah. Are you going to tackle it seriously? I can let you do that. Oh no, you're fine. <laughs> um, to answer your question about SiriusXM, we have not had an, um, an active. Uh, engagement with them. Um, several years back, uh, there was a resolution adopted at, at, at the convention that dealt with uh, doing outreach to SiriusXM, and, and when we attempted to do outreach, um, there, was, uh, there was no reaching out from the other side. Was there was a resounding thunk. So um, that's not to say that we can't do it. Um, uh, if any of you have contacts within SiriusXM, that would be helpful to know. Could you pass that to Jeff, yes, sir. if people have issues like the SiriusXM issue, is there a means for them to access our committee? There is. We have the uh, Information Access Committee friends list that you can join, and uh, will be an article in the form. We, we, uh, we drafted we, a small article that somehow or other fell between the cracks. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. Fell between the digital the cracks. Or not. But um, we will be uh, publishing an article publishing where that. we make this generally known. Yep. That we're in the Information Access Committee. There are so many tens of thousands, literally, issues we could get engaged in. And we have to make priority d- judgments within that. But we'd like to have more kinds of things that we should be doing than what we're currently doing. So we're going to be asking the ACB membership to step up to the plate and report areas that matter to them. I'm amazed. You know, a Declaration of Conflict of Interest. Please note, I work at a little place called the Carroll Center for the Blind, um, and we're a private not-for-profit that does training of blind and visually impaired children and adults in the skills of of being a competent blind person. But one of the things we do within this not-for-profit company is we have a for-profit arm that does website evaluation, training, and remediation. 
And in that, I'm always amazed at the kinds of things that the blind customers have to say about what we should be chasing and what we ought not to spend our time on. We held focus groups, and in those focus groups, they were very clear that the number one thing that they felt they needed better access to was their finances, banking, investments, those kinds of things. Number one, number one. So we went out and tried to get a hold of banks to interact with them. ACB's has a great relationship with a couple of banking firms I could mention. Would you? That's you, Eric. I'm looking down at you. You can't tell. Did I catch you with your mouth full? Have you been delving into that box lunch already? No. Yeah, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan would be a great example. A sponsor here at our convention. But more importantly, a person, an entity that invites us in to discuss where they're going to go with things before they've gone there. The other is access to medical information. Anybody in this room frustrated with trying to get access to the information that supposedly is available to them as a customer uh, online? Not always so easy, is it? And the third, and one of near and dear to my heart and stomach, food. How to shop. You know, the, uh, if you will, the Peapods and other such entities out there that are shopping services and how accessible they are, or for that matter, the... Uh, being able to access the circulars for the ads and those kind of things. So we want to know not what our little select committee of geeky type guys. Uh, Eric is an honorary geek. He claims he's not a geek, but we don't buy that. Um, Every once in a while, I let my inner geek show. Inner geek show, exactly. So, But we want to know what people are having struggles with. Not not because, uh, and, and I'm not putting this down, Jeff, but when you start talking about math, H, math, math ML, yeah, that stuff, yeah, yeah. Well, since I need a calculator to calculate my shoe size, mathematics is not one of my strengths. And therefore, while that I think is vitally important, I bet you there are 10 other issues out there that affect a bigger part of our existing population. Say again? Yeah, well, I do. Yeah, yeah. But your feet's too big, yeah. There's a song, a jazz song for that. Anyway. I'm going to close this part of the program unless there's any further questions. I've got a question from the lady in the back. Yeah, hi, Penny. The refresh. We have been involved from... It is such a fun thing to watch federal bureaucrats play with words. Um, Eric has a great deal more experience in wordsmithing to that level than I do. But ACB absolutely has been involved in discussions and, and the like with the powers that be associating with 508 and its refresh. You know, the, the Access Board isn't just talking about um, the regs associated with uh, those entities outside of government. They're also talking about uh, standards for agencies within the government, so to speak. Anything you want to add? No. no. To uh, actually all three of us standing up here, actually two of us are sitting because <laughs> I'm lazy, uh, we're part of a group along with uh, Ray Kimball, um, who's an ACB board member, uh, of sort of constructing ACB's comments. And I would just give you sort of a general sense, Penny, and that is that we were pleased overall with the sort of the tone and the direction that the access board was looking at going in the NPRM. And we actually said that a couple of different times in our comments. Um, I think, you know, they, they really stepped in it, was it three, four years ago when they put out um, an NPRM that really wasn't um, well-directed, um, well-thought-out. And uh, I think they, they did a much better job in this iteration. And uh, you know, it's our, our hope, frankly, that, that the final regs will come out at some point. Uh, in the near There you near go. In the near future. future. Before the end of this administration. Terrified, they blink because of the 
I will tell you, Penny, it is a very, very complicated thing. And remember that the third component of today's discussion is going to be on complaining. Complaining. Uh, we believe in ACB. Well, let's back up. Let's, let's first off acknowledge that all of those lovely laws and et cetera, et cetera, that deal with the rights of people with disabilities are driven by one thing and one thing only. Complaints. The laws are in the books. Entities violate them on a regular basis. And as long as people who are affected by that denial do not go through the complaint process that's part of the regulatory process, there's virtually nothing can be done. Unlike many other civil rights-oriented activities, if we don't complain, it's like they're not guilty unless they're caught doing it. And they're not caught doing it unless we show um, courage. And it is courage. And I, I don't put down anybody who says, well, I'm worried about my livelihood if I complain too much. Because those people have families that they're putting a roof over their head and clothes on their back. And I fully respect that. But you know, sometimes you've got to risk something to get something. And that means we have to learn to complain and complain effectively so that things can actually happen. One of the things that we did in, in putting together our uh, comments about WIOA, again, it's Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, right? Okay. One of the things we did about WIOA is we talked to all the other blindness entities as we were working out our comments on WIOA, and we wanted to make sure that we did two things. One, we didn't contradict one another so that we could, so that those who wanted to do it a way we didn't agree with wouldn't say, well, half of you say yes, half of you say no, so we're just going to do it the way we say. We wanted to make sure that we were speaking with one voice, but we couldn't afford to write one set of comments and put our names on the bottom of, this, of the comments. Because if we did that, they would say, in typical bean counter way, one comment said, you with me? So we as individuals have to complain as individuals. We as individuals have to, through our associations with our chapters and affiliates and national organization, complain again and again and again. So that the bean counters who count the number of pieces of paper that come through the door uh, can't dismiss us because not enough people said something. You know that the Department of Justice has a limit to how many things they can pursue. You're a president of the Guide Dog Users Affiliate. And you know that in Massachusetts, we found out that there was a little piece of rule that was being uh, adopted by colleges and universities that said that guide dog users, service animal users, had to go in when they came on campus and let the disabled student services office know that they were present before they should be allowed to wander around. And this is whether you were a student, a faculty member, a visiting clown, it didn't matter. They say, you should dot, dot, dot. And so we told the Department of Justice this, and the Department of Justice says, we don't yet see a pattern of abuse. It's not that these colleges and universities aren't doing this, but nobody's complaining. Nobody's complaining. So I hope that the 508 stuff works, but it's only going to work if enough people do the official complaining. And we've had examples of members who have done that and put their careers at risk in the process. Okay, Judy, you are still here. Good, thank you. Can you come up and, and uh, participate in the next component, please? So, in the program, we said that, that during the middle of our day today, we were going to do some demonstration of some new products. And those new products, uh, one of them that we're going to be demonstrating here today and doing a little Q&A and back and forth with is... Remember, I told you I checked the time with my Apple Watch. Apple Watch. Yeah. 
So we're going to be doing a little bit of an Apple Watch demo. Uh, we had also hoped that by now Mr. Jeff Bishop over there um, would be sitting a little farther away from the back of his chair uh, because uh, I'm a type 2 diabetic and I was very excited to hear that there was a device that was designed that would allow me to monitor my blood sugar on a continuous basis as a result of being able to use an app on my iPhone and using uh, a patch-like device that I'd wear on my body that would be constantly monitoring that. And Jeff had every hope to be able to be qualified to demonstrate that for you today. But Jeff's doctor said? No, for now, because we're traveling and stuff, I have to delay that until August. But I can talk a little bit about it. It's actually not a patch. It's actually an, an injected item that then you connect a, a, a Bluetooth receiver to and... Then it sends that data to an iPhone app, and you can have the information automatically sent to your doctor. Yeah, the Dexcom, yeah. Do you? That's awesome. So, so I'm going to ask you to come up here for a quick minute then. Yeah, you. So I'm going to do a little Q&A here real quick. Okay. I'm a type 2 di diabetic. Okay. And I need to monitor my blood sugar on a regular basis. Right. And you say your wife has one of these? My wife has. She's a, yeah, she's a diabetic. Okay. And so where does it reside on your body? Um, she hasn't been that personal with me, but... <laughs> it, Let me tell you, you're married to this woman, I know, right? Yeah, but, but still. Okay. She, th those are things she will not discuss with she's me. She's not but, discussing that with but you. But I, I assume it can be pretty much anywhere. Uh, I, she, I almost had her come today, but she didn't. She went, went shopping. That's okay. <laughs> but anyway, any, um, I feel your pain. I'm thinking that it might go in maybe the abdomen or in her side area. She's she also has a diabetic on the pump as well. So um, I'll talk you know, about she that. Has, well, so anyway, so nonetheless, she has this attached to her. Yes, mm -hmm. and um, it's constantly sending a signal to what? It's constantly sending a signal to a receiver. She's got a receiver that's that's um, connected. Um, that she carries with her is not, and the receiver is not connected to the probe, if you will. No, it's the probe. It's it's a Bluetooth connection. It's a Bluetooth connection yeah. between the two things. Right, and, the and that receiver and the receiver is also um, transmitting to the app. So, so that, she has an iPhone on. Well, no, she no. doesn't because she's got some vision, so she can use the device. She's using the device directly. But, but I have my I have her, the app loaded. And I'm what happens is you can share your readings with a significant other. So she shares it with me. And so as a sharer, then I get privy, you know, to when her blood glucose drops below what she tells it to drop below. So the, the, the receiver that she's using that's Bluetooth connected mm -hmm. uh, is a smart device. Yep. And it's connected by way of cellular? Um, or is it connected by way of wireless? No, I think it's connected by way of... Uh, it's connected somehow... It doesn't matter where she is. No. Or where you are. She can be anywhere. You get it. And I think it's okay. probably cellular. So therefore, it'd be cellular. Yeah. And so it's a, there's a server, and of course, it gets all connected there. And then, then I, get, I get notified when her sugar drops below a certain point. And she programs that to and say what that point is? She decides what that point is. And so I can call her, and, and what happens, I've had several instances, I, and I get the indication, and I call her and say, your sugar's low. So, okay, thanks, I'll check, I'll, I'll do something. So, there you go. Yeah, and it, it works well. The only thing you do, you have to have the app loaded, by the way. Right, the app has is, to be loaded. It's not like Dark Sky, for example. No, it's got to be loaded. It's hovering in the background. It has to be the app. Yes. Gotcha. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate coming up and talking about that. Okay. Insurance covered it? Uh, they did. Yay. Yeah, I have a federal insurance. That, she has Medicare primary, and I've got federal insurance. I'm a reti we're retired. That's gotcha. secondary. So that secondary picks it up. Excellent. Excellent. Good news, right, Jeff? That the insurance could cover that? Yes. Was there a question? What's it called? Dexcom. Dexcom.
D-E-X-C-O-M? D-E-X-C-O-M, as in mother. On behalf of the entire Main Menu staff, I'd like to thank you for being with us today here on Main Menu. We'll look forward to seeing you back again next week. Meantime, you have a good week, and we'll see you soon.